Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Remember, Remember That Time I Got Cancer. I'm your host, Erica, and with episode eight, we are now entering week two of my self-imposed Cancer Recollection Podcast Challenge. Hadn't given it quite that name before, but I've done it now. With the second week of this challenge of this podcast, it's also mirroring the second week of my journey with cancer, which takes me to Lewisham Hospital. To recap what I've said before, a week after my initial admission to St. Thomas's, I was scheduled to see my GP to follow up on the supposed infection, while it was definitely an infection, but to follow up on the infection to see if I was improving. Now, I knew the day before this appointment that my fever had already returned. This was the first I had had a fever since being discharged from St. Thomas's Hospital, and I knew that wasn't a great sign, but I just assumed that the infection was rather aggressive. They had mentioned an upper UTI, which is also referred to as a kidney infection. So I figured there were going to be more antibiotics in my immediate future, but I get the call that my appointment has been canceled and it could have been canceled for any number of reasons, but I knew that to allow the fever to build again and allow the infection to continue to get worse without the intervention of antibiotics would be dangerous and foolish. So like I said, I called the 111 service and they said, no, if your fever is back, you must go back to A&E. And being that this was a day that I was home, I went to Lewisham Hospital because it was the closest hospital to our our home in Catford. It was, I don't know, afternoon, mid-afternoon when I made the trip to Lewisham by bus. And the first thing they did as soon as I arrived was they put a cannula back in my arm and they took blood and they were prepping me for antibiotics. They pretty much right away assumed that I was going to get a second course of antibiotics. And it took me a while to get in touch with anyone. I think I had texted, I probably texted both Emily and Rachel that I was headed back into the hospital, that I would be at Lewisham and that I didn't know how long I would be there, but I would appreciate company if either of them was free. At the time, Rachel, I believe, had an internship. I think this was when her internship was all the way north of the city towards St. Albans. I forget which which small town up that way she was actually working out of, but it was either then or during the HarperCollins internship. And, And to be honest, now I don't quite remember. So I knew she would be late home, but Emily was available. The details here are a little fuzzy. I I remember or I was reminded by Emily that she had at some point gone to get me food. I had been at the hospital several hours at this point, but had not formally been admitted yet. And so it was not yet being fed. And I was hungry. She says that she went and got me Burger King. And as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, that that does sound familiar to me. The trouble with Lewisham Hospital is this. Once you are separated from your people in that hospital, it is incredibly hard to connect with them again because there is no signal at Lewisham Hospital. So Emily had gone to get me food, and in that time they moved me from whatever initial space I had been in and Emily had been allowed to be in with me, and... I don't think had quite moved me to my ward, but they took me to a a secondary exam room. And that's where they told me that 
not only were my infection numbers climbing again, but that my infection was worse than when I had been at St. Thomas's. This was after something like 24 or 36 hours of IV antibiotics, followed by an entire seven-day course of oral antibiotics. This should not happen uh, for anyone who's not been on antibiotics before. At the very least, an antibiotic should prevent your infection from getting any worse, and this just wasn't happening. And so it became a little more urgent and a little more serious. And so at that point, they decided to admit me again. I had no idea when I was admitted that I would wind up spending a full seven days in Lewisham Hospital. By the time they made this determination, it was already late at night and they weren't going to be able to do the the ultrasound, which was the first phase of imaging. Despite the fact that I spent more time at Lewisham ultimately than I did at St. Thomas's recovering from my surgery, I don't recall feeling as strongly about any of my nurses there. I did feel quite strongly about my gynecologist, and he definitely gets a whole session. The preceding couple of days of imaging and tests would ultimately reveal the tumor which was causing the infection. Basically, the tumor was causing infection by virtue of it pressing so hard on the kidney that the kidney could not possibly do its job. And this was found... At really at the first bit of imaging. So they decided right off the bat that they would do an ultrasound. They wanted to take a look at the kidney and figure out why the kidney wasn't functioning like it should. So I think it was actually very late the next day because I, re- I just recall it being in the evening before the ultrasound technician got to me. And I was taken down by the porters. The porters at Lewisham admittedly were not the best the kind of wheelchairs they use there are not traditional wheelchairs. They're not the sort of self-propelled wheelchairs. They are just chairs with wheels. And sometimes it was easier for them to pull the patient behind them facing backwards. So you really start feeling like a piece of luggage. And that wasn't a great feeling, but, you know, whatever. So I'm down at the ultrasound, And I'm getting prepped and they're explaining to me what they're going to do. And I, I'm able to shrug that off. I say, I've, I've had an ultrasound of the pelvis done before. They were looking at my ovary and not the kidney, but, but I'm, I'm familiar enough with the process that they don't have to stress. So they put, you know, they put gel on your, on the pelvis, on the area they're looking at. And one thing you should know is that when a technician does imaging, they're not supposed to tell you anything. They're not a radiologist. They're not trained or qualified, not qualified by, uh, by educational standards, by licensing standards to read images. And they want to avoid telling patients the wrong thing. And so you should only ever get readings from a radiologist, not from a technician. But I knew pretty instantly that something was off by how the technician was sort of carrying themselves. And as they looked around for a while, they they asked, they said, you've had a, an ultrasound before of, of the ovary. And I said, yes. And they said, what did they see? Now, if you remember, I had a ovarian cyst on my right ovary sometime when I was in high school around age 14. And I said, 
they saw a cyst. Why? What are you seeing? And they sort of hesitate because that's not a question they can answer. Then they said, and you're sure you couldn't be pregnant? which was a stupid question, but at the time I was a virgin and I said, I'm positive I'm not pregnant. It is not possible. And then I repeated, what are you seeing? This was not a situation this technician was going to be able to get out of because at this point he knew that I knew that there was a problem. And being that this was a test late in the day, the radiologist was not going to get around to reading it tonight. So he turned the camera to the, the screen towards me, the monitor And I had obviously seen ultrasounds before. I had seen the ultrasound of my right ovary. An ultrasound should not look the way what he showed me looked. It looked like a mess, and I'm sure he understood more of that mess than I did, but it it didn't have the typical shadows and light spots that you would see on an an ultrasound of that area. And I, I remember the horror that I felt as I asked, what is that? And he said, that's where your kidney should be, but it is a mass. Uh, That's all I had to hear before I was in total hysterics. And the technician was really good about it. He said, you know, a couple of times, you know, that doesn't mean we know what it is. You know, I don't want you to panic. We're going to get you back up to the ward. They're going to do more imaging. We're going to get this all sorted out. And he was really, really kind. And he, instead of doing what often happened, which was the patient would get left in a waiting area and a porter would get to them when they could, he made sure that someone took me back up to the ward right away, that I wasn't sitting alone in a panic with the knowledge, the sudden knowledge that I, I had a mass. At that point, that was the word that was being used. The, the ultrasound was read the next day, and I think it took another day yet. I think I had been in the hospital two full days before they got me in for my CAT scan. This was its own kind of trauma. By this point, I had not accepted what was going on, And I don't think I had communicated to my parents what exactly was going on because to admit to my parents that I had a mass, that I had potentially a tumor would have made it entirely too real to me. As long as I could keep it in this England, London bubble, I was somehow safe from it in my mind. So I go on to the CAT scan. It would be the first CAT scan I had ever had done and wound up being pretty traumatic. Um, I am that odd person that usually says I would rather have an, an MRI than a CT. An MRI is a much longer test. You're in a much smaller space. But I have very cranky veins. And part of what has to happen with a CAT scan, I'm sorry, with a CT, is they have to push the dye or the contrast, whichever, into your bloodstream at a very fast rate. This is a very weird chemical dye that makes you feel like you have peed yourself. So that's a fun phenomenon when you're also filled with other panic. But they pushed it so fast that it burned and I screamed and I was crying. But by the time they pushed this dye, the the radi- not the radiologist, but the technician is 
is behind a wall because of radiation and they can't be exposed to that amount of radiation every day. And I just remember the technician coming through the the overhead speakers that allow them to talk to the patients and saying, you know, it's we're almost done, we're almost done, it's going to be done in a second. And he was right, it was done really fast. But I think I'm always going to remember how badly that hurt. It felt like uh, particularly the veins in my arms were just going to burst open uh, where the the solution was being pushed. Since then, I've learned to tell the CT technicians, because I've, of course, uh, done several since then, that I am very sensitive to the dye and it cannot be pushed that fast. So they usually give me a test where they will sit me down and they will push it at a level, make sure that it's a level that's comfortable for me, and they can program all that into the computer uh, before I'm even set up to be scanned. It still, however, is one of those exams that really stresses me out. Uh, I'm always hopeful that they'll tell me, oh, you know, we don't need the contrast this time. We're, we're really convinced that we'll see what we need to without it. That basically never happens because they're looking for, uh, you know, the magical demon cells that light up when exposed to the fancy chemical. That's one part I really don't understand. It was after the CT that they started saying tumor. Didn't love that. I would have rather never heard that word, but again, not really something I was in control of. So that was what it was. And another day or maybe day and a half later, I was going in for the MRI. Now, an MRI is interesting. It is a scan that a lot of people report trouble with because it involves being in a quite enclosed space for a very long time. I think the MRI took like 45 minutes, maybe a little bit longer than that. But I remember a couple of things. Number one, there was no fast push of contrast into my veins. And so it didn't hurt. It was loud, but they gave me these really cool headphones because, of course, you can't have anything metal in the MRI room. But they hooked up my phone to the sound system and these special headphones that the sound actually traveled through hollow tubing to what felt like traditional over-ear headphones on my head. And I recall being really interested in that. What was more troubling about the MRI is that I had to lay there contemplating my reality without moving for 45 minutes or better. I don't think I was 15 minutes in before I started to cry. Not because I was in pain, but because I was scared and not scared of the machine, not scared of the exam, but scared of scared of my future, scared of an uncertainty that I felt really surrounded by. And again, I remember the technician being really really kind and saying that we would be done soon and just sort of talking to me. He would comment on my music because I had sort of probably interesting tastes for someone my age. And by interesting tastes, I mean, I listen to show tunes, folk pop and Celtic woman. Like that's, that's what I listen to. And I don't know, that music makes me happy. And It was nice that the technician sort of spoke to me through it. I think that at least I had a feeling that the technicians that I was brought to for these different exams were at least sort of broadly aware of what was going on with me and that things were really uncertain. So I guess that's what I want to leave this session with is that 
it was a really uncertain time. And while my nurses at Lewisham didn't really make an impact, the technicians that found my cancer did it while showing me a lot of compassion and warmth. And I was going through a lot at the time. And so one thing that I regret is I don't think I thanked them enough. I don't think I told them that their kindness and their thoughtfulness turned a scary situation into a less scary situation. And at least a situation where I didn't feel quite so alone. So if any of you listening work in healthcare, particularly if you are a, an imaging technician, if you do x-rays or MRIs or CAT scans or ultrasounds, um, I just want to say thank you for what you do because it may seem like your patients, you know, don't see you, uh, but we do, and we appreciate that human connection at what can be really scary times. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in today. Thanks also to Julius H. for this song, Beltane, which I found on Pixabay. Now, before I go, don't forget... Support single-payer healthcare. Go get your damn vaccines. COVID-19 is real. And thanks to the NHS for supporting my continued existence. See you tomorrow.